Okay, good afternoon all. Um, firstly, thanks very much for, for joining us today. Um, the take up on these analyst fireside chats has been pretty good so far, and we, we do hope that you guys are all um, enjoying the interactions. Um, also, we, we welcome any feedback. Um, if there are any burning topics that uh, anyone's really interested in, feel free to, to pop those through to us. We've got a number of analysts on our team looking at a variety of sectors and um, and the macro, so uh, please feel free to, to reach out to us. Um, for those that didn't dial in last week or weren't able to, to listen to the entire uh, session with, with Rees about the macro, you should have got a link to the recording yesterday. Um, please shout it if you haven't and we'll pop that through to you. Um, Rees is also busy going through the various questions that came through that we weren't able to get through. So you know, no pressure, Rees and team, but um, everyone should have the answers to those questions in the next week. Um, <coughs> Moving on to today, um, for those that are familiar with the format, we're going to spend probably the next 20-25 minutes just chatting in general about uh, today's topic. We're going to leave a bit of time for questions. As always, those questions are encouraged, um, so please pop those through in the Q&A section or, or box that you see in your Microsoft Teams uh, screen. Um, I think we've received a few questions already, uh, so we'll, we'll tackle as many of those as possible. Um, just a bit of admin as always, we, we are sitting on the public side as analysts, so you know, no private info here. Uh, our analysts are also all independent, so you know, the views here are the independent analyst views, um, and, and we may differ in places from, from NetBank's house view. So without uh, any further delays, I'm going to move on to today's guest. Um, he has been a regular on this platform. And I've always wanted to say that it, it makes us feel like we've got a little bit of a show on our hands here. Yeah? Um, but, but Walter DeVette is our macro strategist uh, and he's covered various asset classes over the years. Um, I think he's gained a little bit of a cult following after his uh, stronger RAND call at the start of last year. Um, and if it wasn't a difficult enough task trying to call the RAND throughout the, 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 the period of last year, this week he's, he's tackled an even bigger task. Um, he has written a note that tries to determine what the economic impact of COVID restrictions has been. Um, so, you know, a lot of information in here, a lot of data-driven conclusions that he's come to. So, you know, I'm going to leave it to Walt to explain uh, what, what this is all about. Walt, have I got that right? Um, yeah, thanks so much, Harvey. Thanks for the introduction and uh, thank you everybody for dialing in. Yeah, you got it right. Um, you know, I think uh, the uh, the title and when you see the title, the cost of COVID um, restrictions, um, I think it might seem a bit uh, stupid or um, elementary because, you know, we kind of know the cost of, of the restrictions already, right? We've seen Q2 GDP last year contract by you know just over 50% on a quarter on quarter basis when you analyze it and we obviously saw um, GDP bounce back quite heavily on a quarter on quarter basis in Q3. So we kind of know that type of cost but the problem is and what we try to achieve with this note is you know we think we're at this stage where you we cannot use the excuse that we don't have enough data um, to analyze these things in more detail. Um, of course, always, you know, when, as I guess, you know, when we deal with statistics and, you know, econometrics and stuff, we need, we want as much data as possible. Um, but we do have a, um, almost 12 months of data now. And we think it's, we're at the stage where we now need to start to determine 
almost what's the real-time impact of restrictions. You know, not look at GDP that comes um, available with a lag of three to four months and then say, oh yes, that was the impact. Um, we can do it almost real-time now, at least get an estimate, and that's what we're trying to achieve in this note. You know, and this we do this, we want to do this for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, the first, for, first is obviously for our own analysis, and we, we focus specifically, as you've mentioned, you know, on FX and fixed income. We we're going to get a real-time um, or at least a higher frequency estimate of what restrictions mean. We can immediately get a sense of what it might mean for the fiscal position for the country via tax revenue or expenditure that government needs to do. We also think, you know, maybe we touch on it later, we can also use this type of data, or at least governments should use this type of data more and more to use it in, in thinking about how they impose restrictions, should we need to do that again when there's a wave three or a wave four over the next 12 months. Um, you know, the last point I think I want to make is, you know, um, it doesn't help. I think uh, the, the data that we'll see over the next 12 months, you know, obviously in years to come, economists will continue to analyze it and kind of get the real cost of the economy because there's obviously longer term costs too. But for us living it now, that will be too late um, to do that in a in, in hindsight way. Um, and hence also why we um, embarked on this project to get a, a real time sense of what the costs are. That sounds like a lot of work, Walter, and, and I'm sure a lot has been put in, but maybe just take a step back and explain to us how you actually do this. What is the stringency index you talk about? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, we, um, it's, I guess, like many things in life, it sounds probably more complicated than it is, right? But um, one of the things that we've used, and we actually came about this data via the Saab, um, and it is the Saab showed this type of chart on one of their monthly chart um, exhibitions which they publish. Um, and then we went and we looked at the data um, and we realized that the Blatt van Nick School of Government at University of Oxford has actually been compiling data for all the restrictions across you know, more than 150 countries since the 1st of January 2020, effectively when we realized there was a, a pandemic and on hand. And they've compiled the sub-indices and then they, it all rolls up into what they call the stringency index. And what the stringency in, in index essentially does is it gives us a sense, at least in, in numbers um, or empirically, what the level of or the, the stringency of the measures in place was over time. This is specifically for South Africa and South Africa there is the, 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 the um, orange line, and you can see how our stringency um, index changed over time. Um, back in March 2020, um, you know, our stringency was quite tight relative to the rest of the world. And you can see we've also got the max there, and we've got the, the least stringent index, and I've also put on there the average as well as the 75th percentile. Um, South Africa very strict initially, and then we came off and around about now the, the end of the second, the, the end of the third quarter, we dropped quite significantly as South Africa entered the summer period. Yeah, and, and, and broadly, if you cast your mind back now, you know, obviously South Africa saw the massive slump in GDP, and it all makes sense when you look at this empirical numbers relative to the rest of the world too. You know, where, as I've mentioned, you know, a big slump in Q2 GDP, and then Q3, and it appears as if Q4 also is going to bounce back quite quite well. And as of 
The latest data um, is up until last week. Um, and you can see South Africa is in terms of its stringency. This is obviously the measures before President Ramaphosa relaxed it um, three days ago. We were pretty much in line with average uh, stringency indices. Now, this obviously is great data. It comes out almost on a daily basis, and we can use that now to analyze some of this. Okay, that's fantastic that we, we can see this on a daily basis. And I think everyone can, can sort of look at this and, and, and understand that we've, we've lived through most of this, this chart for the last year. But Walt, how does um, this stringency index then translate into your calculations on, on the cost to the economy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I not not wanting to do injustice to the process, but obviously not to wanting to burden everybody with, with the process. But effectively, what we've done is, you know, if we've got the stringency index, um, and we can get a sense of how at what level we were in the past relative to now, because that's also one of the problems, right? So we we see these these restrictions being imposed on an economy. And it might feel worse, it might not feel feel worse than what it was, for example, in March, but we really don't know. Um, and that has always been the issue. And we need to, um, if we can empirically identify at what level we were relative to the past, then we can at least, as I've mentioned, tie some number to it. And what we've done is we've used this daily data, we've, we've transformed it into monthly data. And on top of that, we've got also obviously some growth figures from the economy already. And that is either quarterly, which we transform, there's ways to transform it into monthly data, and there's monthly data that comes out as well. And one, then we've got a set of stringency indices, and we've got a set of economic data, and you can then start calculating you know, buoyancy rates or elasticities, depending on what you want to call it. You know, buoyancy rates we use quite a lot in, for example, fiscal policy, trying to calculate how, how tax rates would change or tax revenue would change relative to GDP. And we've done exactly the same type of thing here. How would growth, um, specifically in this context, change relative to um, the stringency index and relative to where it was in the past? Um, and of course, you know, as GDP comes out, we, we can obviously update it as we continue. And Walter, I suppose the one thing that, that is probably on everyone's mind here is, is the efforts that government has actually put in. Uh, to try keep the economy afloat. Um, yeah. how, how, do, how do those stimulus measures factor into your, your charts and your data? Yeah, we get to a number where we can calculate the cost per month of what the stringency index have on the economy, um, and which we call the gross costs. Because, you know, as you've mentioned, there's also economic support measures that's in place. Back in April last year, we estimated the gross cost of the economy, given the level of restrictions, um, was just over 40 billion rand um, uh, during that month. And you can see how it changed. And when we went to October last year, the cost dropped quite significantly to just above 15 um, billion a month. And then now our estimates suggest that in January, the cost to the economy was around about 27 billion with these restrictions in place, which obviously talks to you, if you look at where we come from in October, November, December, it talks to a slightly weaker growth outlook for the economy as a whole. And more important, what we can also do now is, you know, once we get the latest stringency numbers from uh, the Oxford University, University of Oxford, we can also get an estimate of where we think the cost for the economy in February will, February will be. Um, and so almost real time. And that's where we really think the, the value in this type of analysis lies.
and should also be for government. So what has been the, 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 the impact of the government support? Um, so we know there's various measures of support um, and government has increased um, grants, social grants, emergency grants. There's been support to, to small businesses. There's also been some tax measures, tax relief uh, for corporates and to some extent for individuals. Now, once we start taking that into account, and then you can see the cost of the economy becomes quite substantially less. Um, and especially, uh, once again, towards the second or the, the, the third quarter of this year, and hence also why it makes sense that we saw such a, a large rebound. In January, to give you a sense, you know, we think, as I've mentioned, on a gross basis, the cost of the economy was about 27 billion. If you take into account some of the economic support measures, we sit somewhere between 15 to 20 billion rand cost of the economy. So, you know, about a, a, a third of the, the gross cost um, has been taken away by the, by the economic support measures. At the end of January, on a gross basis, um, the cost of, of COVID restrictions, so up until effectively three days ago, the gross cost to the economy has been around about 12%. If you take into account the net, um, the, the economic measures, we sit at around about 7.8, I would say just below 8% um, of GDP. Uh, so that gives you a sense of where we've come from. Maybe I can also point out, you know, if you take the gross cost to the, or the net cost to the economy from January last year up until December, so for the whole year, it indicates that, you know, the, the cost to the economy has been around about 7, 7.5%. Um, which is not far off your GDP consensus contraction for this year um, of you know, around about 7.3% for, for GDP over the whole of 2020. So kind of another check and balance that we can do to make sense sure that this data actually makes sense. The, the stimulus seems to be relatively consistent um, throughout the months. Um, it's oh, yeah. just the, 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 obviously the gross cost that has changed. Is that is that something that uh, ties up with with what's happened. Yeah, so so exactly right. So if you it's in well, time will time will tell, right? Twelve months from now, I think we'll have a better idea. Um, but effectively, why it is fairly steady over time is because a large part of the economic support measures um, comes through in the social grants, at least the ongoing cost, right? There's there's and when, when we think about the economic and, and support measures, as I said, that you know we all know there's a 200 billion fund that's provided that the government has provided guarantees towards that's driven by the banks. Um, when when we look at these economic support measures, we think about the direct support, um, tax support or tax relief measures, as well as social grants, and that is why it's fairly steady um, over time. That is also why, you know, if you think about once again how the economy has actually behaved, and when we looked at this, it actually makes more sense to us. You know, we've we've had a very weak Q2 last year, um, and that's simply because you know the, the restrictions were so tight and the support measures were actually small. But obviously, because the support measures remain fairly constant, especially through the social grants, um, if the restrictions relax, it has got a disproportionate big effect on the economy, positive effect. And that's also why we saw such a large rebound and such a strong rebound, we think, in Q3 and Q4 of um, last year. Yeah, makes sense. Um, 
And then what, um, just just looking at South Africa relative to other countries, I mean, one of the interesting things I saw in your notes is that you know, South Africa isn't terribly out of line with the rest of the world. I know when, <laughs> when we sit here, we kind of think that you know, the, the world's coming to an end given what's happening in South Africa. But uh, just talk mm -hmm. us through how South Africa compares to, to the rest of the world. Exactly right. I mean, I think that is always something we need to do, um, you know, um, and specifically you know, when we look at asset prices uh, like we do on a daily basis, because um, it is always the relative picture that matters, um, kind of from an asset price perspective, obviously in the daily life uh, of people, it's the absolute measure. Um, but this is, this is, I guess, the kind of feel-good factor in, in that, that we've uncovered. Um, how does South Africa stack up in terms of costs um, and restrictions? You've seen the first chart, right? I mean, the, the, the stringency in this is we've been pretty much in terms of our, our stringency in line with what the rest of the world has done. So um, our government, I think, was not necessarily unrealistic, um, although you know everybody across the world complains about restrictions. We've, we've been in line. In terms of costs, we've done a, a comparison against a number of countries um, and, you know, it wasn't a random set of countries that we've chosen. Um, we've tried to use a few DMs, a few EMs, commodity DM commodity producers, EM commodity producers, as well as um, you know trading partners such as, for example, the UK, um, to just get a sense of where South Africa is. And we actually end up in terms of the cost, bang in the middle of uh, the, these economies, um, and. The, the, the scale um, tells you how much the economy is likely to contract if the stringency index um, goes to 100 and and over the whole year and this is on a net on a net basis after economic measures and for South Africa you know we, we get a sense that if we run a stringency index for the whole year with the economic support that we've had which obviously is not sustainable on for a whole year um, or, or for another year, would I rather say. Um, the economy would contract by around about 13%. Without the economic measures, the economy would probably contract by around about 20%. Um, you can also see at the two ends, uh, maybe I should point out that too, because we have actually thought a lot about that. Um, UK, Canada, you know, it's quite a large cost on a net basis uh, to these restrictions. And the opposite end, again, you also have Brazil and the US. Um, which have a very little impact. Um, and initially we actually thought, and, and still to, to, to some degree, we think it is the case, you know, services economies tend to, or are likely to struggle substantially more with restrictions. As we know, you know, your hospitality industry, you know, services sector in general has had a hard time with restrictions. In the UK, Canada, large services sector. And the, the, the Brazil, the US, obviously, US got a large service sector, but also a large industrial sector. But I think there's also something else coming in here, which this, this data doesn't actually show, um, is that I think this also reflects how well countries have actually stuck to the rules. Um, we, you know, I've, I've, I've lived in the past in the UK and Canada and um, South Africa, um, and I know that the UK and Canada stick to the rules, right? And you know, the UK invented the line, right? And uh, they've exported it to Canada and people stand in line for everything. Um, and I think these countries just behaved substantially better. And we know that Brazil and the US, there was quite a lot of issues around the, the, the restrictions. And I think that's also playing into this. Um, the stringency index actually doesn't necessarily tell you how well countries have behaved 
according to the rules. Long story short, nevertheless, Abi, um, I think the positive is, you know, South Africa is not an outlier. There's definitely a cost, but it is not as big as, as we thought. Is, as I've mentioned, previous uh, discussion point two, this is direct um, fiscal spending as well as tax relief. It doesn't include um, stuff like, for example, guarantees um, and equity injections into the economy by a government. South Africa is once again round, round about in the middle of the bunch there. So I suppose this is one time where following the rules has, has meant a bigger decline in, in GDP. <laughs> See, there's uh, downside to following the rules, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Walter, am I reading it right that the, the UK has had a significant amount of stimulus being put into their system, but, but it's still been impacted quite negatively? Yeah, absolutely, right? Absolutely. The UK and Canada, massive stimulus. I mean, they, the economies would have done substantially worse if it wasn't for the, the large stimulus that, that they've put in place. Um, you know, the US obviously also have massive stimulus and Brazil as well, right? And I think that also speaks to, to the US and, and Brazil doing better. Um, one of the reasons which also, which I haven't mentioned, I think the UK, uh, the US actually also did quite well because they actually did, as we all know, you know, direct checks, checks to individuals, um, which obviously resulted in, in, in spending uh, from individual, individuals um, into the economy. Um, I guess similar to, to South Africa to some extent. Well, I'm just having a look at, at some of the questions coming through. I think while we're on the topic here, and I encourage anyone to, to send through questions. I'm sure it's generating uh, quite a few questions on the audience side. Um, but, but the question that's come through is just around other countries. Uh, how extensively can we use this data? I mean, the, the examples that are given here are Sweden, um, where obviously restrictions were very limited initially, and then you know, the likes of a Tanzania or, or any other African country where uh, perhaps data is not as uh, available. Yeah. Look, we, and you, yeah, so in the, I, I guess in terms of the countries you can, we can cover and we can analyze, I mean, it's endless, right? I mean, we've used this smallish sample because um, we didn't want to focus on, on other countries. But certainly, I mean, Sweden, obviously, you can do that. I think there would be a, a treasure trove of data. I think actually even for countries um, like Tanzania and, you know, if we're thinking about other African countries, effectively, uh, at the minimum, you want three or four growth points. Um, it's not ideal, but you would be able to do it. So to answer that question, you know, you can, you can expand this quite aggressively across many countries. Great, thanks Walt. Um, and then, I mean, we, we talked a lot about the fiscal situation of, of South Africa. Um, how, mm -hmm. how do restrictions and all of your work that you've done here uh, impact that picture? Effectively, the borrowing that we've done has, cost, has, has covered the, the net cost to the economy. Um, so we've actually been just borrowing to cover the costs. Um, so, I mean, it's not great, um, but we kind of know that already. The government is at this point starting to borrow too much. Domestic long-term borrowing is far starting to exceed the cost. If indeed, you know, we're trying to shore up the economy, which would be consistent of what we've been observing, um, you know, through monthly data and tax revenue, where, you know, we think from a, a fiscal perspective, from a national treasury perspective, Treasury can actually reduce the weekly option sizes. I think that's one of the key things that we're observing here. We've actually been observing it since since October last year, since before the medium term budget. That is room to decrease um, borrowing. That's positive. 
Um, but ultimately, what the negative side, and I think what you need to keep in mind, is that yes, economic support measures decrease the cost on the economy, but ultimately, borrowing is just pulling future consumption forward. And that's what we're doing. We need to pay it back. And that is going to be this borrowing now is going to become a cost in the future. So on a multi-year view, we're at this point where we're just doubling up on the cost of COVID restrictions. And that is not great. So this effectively tells us, you know, from a fiscal perspective, the sooner we can relax restrictions, obviously subject to you know, your social constraints like minimizing deaths or trying to get, get the deaths to, because of COVID to zero, um, the sooner we can do it, the better. I suppose, Walt, you mentioned the, the excess borrowing there, um, but if you put yourself in National Treasury shoes, um, is there any reason why they have done this? <laughs> um, we've, uh, we've been debating for hours around this and um, Rizwana has been breaking her head about why they're doing it, right? Um, and we, uh, there's a couple of reasons we think, right? So there's obviously, uh, you know, a lot of gaps that needs to be filled, especially in the SOE space. Um, and, you know, there might be other unforeseen expenditures that we don't know of. And, you know, we also know there's quite a lot of debt that needs to be rolled. Um, but apart from the SOEs um, that needs to be su supported, you know, we don't think there's necessarily any other good reasons why you want to borrow, borrow at expensive rates and then just sit on the cash. Um, so um, we don't think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we continue to think that, you know, if restrictions are going to re be relaxed steadily over the next couple of months, um, there's no reason why they should slow the borrowing as well. Um, and, and then Walt, maybe just on, on thoughts going forward here um, and, and the economic support that is potentially available. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? So, look, we all know it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's not available, right? I mean, from a fiscal perspective, South Africa cannot continue to spend at the pace that we are spending. Um, you know, I guess in theory, you can spend, you know, up until the market actually tells you that you can't anymore. Um, but as I've mentioned, ultimately it's a cost. So, you know, South Africa has to double up on these economic support measures and spend another um, six, seven percent of GDP um, this year on only economic support measures, um, not even on all the other stuff. Um, you know, we're going to run into big problems. So I would say, you know, there's not a lot of room to to continue these things um, over and above the next, you know, three or four months that we that we might have uh, before vaccine rollout is is in full swing. And Walter, I suppose the question that you know a lot of our clients are are very interested in is is just the impact of these restrictions on individual sectors. Mm -hmm. um, is there is there anything in your work that that can provide a little bit of clarity on on <laughs> yeah. the sector impact? Yeah, exactly. So absolutely right. I mean, so us when we we are generally interested in the in the the macro stuff that at the top simply because you know that's where we think about around the budget and the fixed income but i think the more interesting the exciting stuff is in the different sectors um 
And we've done a bit of work on it, not necessarily in, 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 in the, the research that we've released so far, but we're certainly going to do more in the next week or so. Um, and as I've mentioned, right, I mean, we need to turn this out, I think, sooner rather than later, because it doesn't help that we kind of look at it, you know, in December, in, the, in December of this year, look back and say, well, OK, this is what happened. That's not going to help anybody. Um, and there's very interesting things coming out with some of the stuff that we've done. And I've just put on retail sales and manufacturing here, for example, the sectors um, and some of the initial findings that we've done. And if you look at retail, for example, so a very similar type of analysis that we've done. We look at the retails, retail sales in South Africa and then look at how has restrictions affected retail sales? What has been the economic uh, support measures? How strong has that been? And then also there's other sub indices that we can also look at for that that might be of interest to specific sectors. Like, for example, the retail sector, you know, would be quite adversely affected by the restrictions of movement. You know, people can't go to the beach, which implies they won't buy ice creams and all the other stuff, or people just can't go to the shops um, because of, you know, um, curfews um, between uh, seven and, and seven. Um, so once we start analyzing that, you can see that, you know, on if you look at retail sales specifically, the gross cost has not been that high. Um, and when I say gross cost, the overall restrictions. And you can also see from the retail sector, it appears as if the economic support sectors has a support has actually been quite strong, which to us makes sense, right? I mean, if you're going to pay this, the, the a large part of your economic support into social grants and people are going to spend it, it should almost have a, in theory, at least almost a one to one uh, effect on, on retail sales if they're going to spend it on food and clothing, etc. So we think that's why it's so strong. But you can also see, for example, restriction of movement had quite a big negative effect on retail. Um, now, if you go and you look at, for example, manufacturing on the opposite side, um, you know, the economic support measures had a substantially smaller impact relative to the gross cost. And some of the work, you know, we found that not necessarily, um, it's still very, um, it's, it's, it's not final results, but you know, what we found is that, for example, the restriction of movement didn't necessarily reflect manufacturing that much, um, or at least statistically significant. Um, but it definitely the overall restrictions, and I think ultimately demand affected manufacturing quite stringently. And you can see if you look at the net effect, retail sales seems to be almost back. It, even the January restrictions didn't have any effect on retail sales because of the economic support measures. But if you look at manufacturing, it seems as if it's going to have quite a big effect in, in our view. Now, for us, the interesting part comes in, and this is actually where I think you know, government actually needs to, to get their act together. Um, and they need to start thinking about these type of things in, in this type of way, you know, kind of smart restrictions, if we need to go down the next wave. And you look at, for example, how retail sales is reacting. Um, big bonus or big plus for retail from economic support measures. But if you can in some way do away with restriction of movement, then you can also offset some of the um, support measures and the retail sales will still be on a net basis unaffected. And then you can use that money that you've used for, uh, for example, for direct grants and try in some way, try to channel it towards, for example, a manufacturing sector. Um, and and the, and that that would obviously then help the manufacturing sector uh, better. 
because if you do away with restrictions of movements, retail the retail sector, for example, wouldn't necessarily need all the support they need. Um, so those are the type of things I think we, we, we can do and you know, governments should do. And then obviously also for our clients, you know, we can obviously tell them look, almost on a real basis, we think this type of restrictions are going to affect the sector in X, Y, and Z. Um, we're still kind of starting to scrape the surface here, but um, there's definitely some interesting results to be had. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thanks, Walt. Um, I think um, I've got a couple more questions here from, from the audience. Um, yeah, this is this is one that leads through to to some of our estimates. Um, inflation. So, so what does restrictions mean for prices and inflation? Uh, and then maybe I'll split it out, Walt, into the the short term and then maybe your longer term view on it. Yeah. Oh, so look, I mean, restrictions. If 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 we think about restrictions, at least for a first round effects um, for us. To keep it simple means lower demand um, and obviously lower demand means less demand pull uh, pressure on inflation and um, so for us if we continue to see restrictions higher rather than lower than expectations we think that the uh, inflation will also surprise on the downside um, now we've got our inflation maybe just put that in perspective we've got inflation for 2021 at 3.9 percent and um, you know firmly bias for that is for us lower than rather than higher. Um, that's a first round effect. I think once you start thinking second round effects and maybe longer term, um, I would actually be concerned that it will put upward pressure um, on prices um, and not necessarily because demand is going to be so strong, but I think we might run into potentially into some supply issues because what we're what, I th what what is very likely to happen and I think is happening already is we're obviously decreasing the supply base in the economy. The longer the restrictions are in place, the longer um, or more firms fall out of the supply curve and you actually get increased um, or, or less supply to the economy as a whole, which means higher prices, a concentration in different sectors, which gives higher pricing power to a few firms. Um, so that's effectively how we would think about it. But short term, short term in, the, in, a, in a 12 month view, I think bias to the downside for us. Um, I think the question was just around April um, that there seemed to be stimulus uh, being put forward in April, um, but the, the impact to the economy was still quite large. Um, yeah, so maybe if we just move here, so exactly right. So the 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 stimulus in in so. You also have to remember if you if you go back and I mean this is obviously also based on the, the data from the University of Oxford. Um, but absolutely. So we had this, the restrictions and this, the strict restrictions, the most stringent restrictions being put in place in April. But the rollout of the economic stimulus was one either not in full swing yet, and secondly, or alternatively, people haven't taken it up yet. Um, and that's why the, the obviously the, the, the bang to the economy was in April, May, and then to a lesser extent, June. We had, because you have to remember, right? I mean, I, and if you cast your mind back, right? I mean, we all lived it, obviously. I mean, government was very quick to, governments across the world, very quick to implement restrictions. And then almost after the fact, they started thinking about, okay, let's roll out the, um, the stimulus. And I think that's why we are seeing this lag effect. Um, the good news, I guess, is you know, if, if, if the stimulus continues for a month or two more and restrictions 
uh, reduce, then we're going to see something like we've seen in October, November, uh, where we see a big uh, positive from the, the, the support relative to the restrictions. Well, maybe if I just ask you on, if we take a step back and go to, to March, April, when this was starting, um, do, do you think this chart is, reflects what was expected um, in terms of the stimulus going in um, and the impact? I mean, it obviously looks like uh, if you lock down quite aggressively, but put stimulus in, it doesn't really make a difference. Um, but once you start, once you start opening up a bit, that starts coming through. And as you mentioned earlier, um, mm -hmm. well, once the economy starts starts opening up more, yeah. it has a disproportionate impact. Um, on yeah, look, I mean, it's. I, I, I honestly, I mean, I, I think it does have a disproportionate impact, right? Because I said the stimulus is is generally constant versus the restrictions which change over time. So that makes for us that does makes complete sense. So, but I think there's there's a couple of things, and unfortunately, this is where we'll only only time will tell. And when we look back, um, is you know it might actually happen that you know so there's stimulus in place and it is recorded as for example June in the data, but individuals can only decide to spend it in July or August, right? So in, in reality, the stimulus might or the economic support is spread differently from what the data suggests. Um, so that's that's definitely one of the things which could happen, um, no doubt. Um, and which I think we, we need to be kind of keep in mind. But as I said, unfortunately, time will tell and you know, when we look back on that. And I think the second thing is, the, and this is what some of the sector work, that our initial sector work is showing. Um, the stimulus is obviously also spread unevenly across sectors. So you might work or, 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 or live in one sector and it feels as if there's no support. And then you actually realize and you actually in somebody else in another sector feels that things aren't going that bad. Um, I think that's also a reality. Um, and as I've mentioned, you know, depending also on how the, the, the restrictions are put in place, right, the movement of people um, affect some sectors disproportionately, uh, which might kind of make it feel as if the, the economic support measures doesn't work at all. So I think all of these things need to keep in mind. But, you know, at an aggregate level, yeah, we're comfortable with this results. It gives us at least some estimate on a timely basis. Thanks, Walt. I think we've got three or four minutes left. I've just got two more questions. The first one from the audience. Um, I'm going to have to ask you to put on your political hat a little bit here, Walt. I'm going to read it out. Um, with ex-President Zuma expressing a strong view of ignoring an order from the Concord, the land appropriations bill getting more attention again and not in a good way, um, and the unshameful publicity of government incompetence and corruption, do you think that South Africa can remain a attractive investor destination? Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't have my political hat here. So look, uh, the, 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 the short answer is yes, absolutely. I think it's possible. Um, but and I, yeah, once again, as I've, as I've mentioned, yeah, and you actually realize once you've you've lived in different places across the world and you've observed how different economies also work, um, what's happening in South Africa is not. I mean, it's it's politically or from a political economy perspective, I should say, it's it's not positive, and you can't you can't condone it. Definitely not. But it's happening all over the world. I think sometimes um, us as South Africans forget that. Um, that's the, that's the important thing. And as I've mentioned, you know, you sit with 
uh, a relative gain here. Um, if it happens all over the world, then maybe South Africa in a relative basis is 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 not that bad off. And from that perspective, I you know I think one can remain an attractive destination. Um, what concerns me, and what I think will hamper investments in the long run, is property rights. And that, to me, is the cornerstone. And I mean, not to me. I mean, empirical studies and and studies that uh, the academic studies has shown it time and over again, is that property rights are the cornerstone of welfare in the, the welfare of any economy. If you don't have that, then you're going to struggle. So politics, you know, could be bad, but it's noise. It happens everywhere. The property rights specifically, I think, is should be a concern. Thanks very much, Walter. Was very well answered uh, to, to that bouncer that was thrown at you there. <laughs> um, I think just to 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 end it off, Walter, um, maybe just give us your your summary. What have you learned uh, from the work that you've done here, and and potentially what's 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 next? What are some of the questions that you still think you can you can tackle? Yeah. So so first of all, right? I mean, the key for us is that you know we think it's able to get a monthly almost real-time estimate of what it would cost the economy. Um, might not be 100% correct, um, but we think it's good enough to get some indication, which can be used to get a sense of how it's going to be the impact. And as I said, um, the restrictions we've seen in January has been large. Uh, we should try to avoid it. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I think, I honestly think government should start thinking about now that we've got enough data, they should start thinking about not imposing blanket restrictions um, in a similar way that they've done in the past. Um, we should analyze the data and start implementing smart restrictions that favor sectors that don't react well to these restrictions. Um, and it can be done. Um, as, I've, as I've mentioned, I mean, you obviously want to keep in mind, you know, actually what you want to achieve, and that is to minimize deaths. Um, that is obviously the kind of binding constraint. And then thirdly, you know, I think what is what is nice is, you know, we, we shouldn't despair because South Africa is not an outlier. For me, that's quite important. Um, and, and I think it also implies something for our asset prices. And then lastly, you know, what we've seen, and you know, if, if you think about the vaccine rollout and the cost to the economy, um, you know, ultimately, any country, South Africa specifically, should get the vaccine out as soon as possible. Um, if it costs us 40 billion and January restrictions alone cost us 27 billion, um, then it's a no-brainer, right? You want to get it out as soon as possible to get to lift these things uh, so that we can go about our business. Thanks so much, Walt. Um, I think we've reached the end of our time. Um, as always, great chatting to you. Love the data behind it. Love the the, the logical conclusions that you're coming up with. And and I'm sure there's there's a lot more work um, that that is going to be done on the back of this. Um, to everyone that's listened in, thanks very much for joining us. Um, as always, any questions, any comments, any feedback, um, please pop us a, a mail or give us a shout. Thanks, everyone. Have a good afternoon. Bye. Thanks, everybody.